host, Emily. I am glad you're here. It's season six. We're here. We're in season six, and we're talking about some of my all-time favorite movies paired together in themes that only kind of make sense. But that's okay, because there's very little about this podcast that makes sense. Boy, are we having fun, though. But today's theme is some kids go on an adventure. (laughs) This is a pretty simple structure. First off, you need a kid or a gang of kids. Are they called posses? Uh, Gaggles. A gaggle of kids. We're going to call them a gaggle. Let's call them a gaggle. Anyways, whether there is one or a gaggle, said kid finds themselves at a crossroads when presented with an opportunity to go out into the big wide world for an adventure. He, she, they could one, stay home and let the fun pass them by. This would make for a very short and uneventful movie. Or two, throw caution to the wind and strike out on a journey that will inevitably bring them into harm's way. And from there, it's not too different from our romance adventure with the side of whimsy and magic theme. There's just no love story and our protagonists are short. (laughs) They'll be faced with some sort of evil, almost always a shady adult. They must overcome a series of obstacles, will get stubborn and determined, will use their imagination and intuition to best said shady adult, and will come out victorious in the end. Why do I love this theme? Well, I mentioned it a bit in season two of the podcast way, way long time ago. Do you remember season two when we talked about some great 80s and 90s kids movies? But there's something special about stories centered around kids because there's very little hubris. They're not showing off. They've got nothing to prove. They're just having fun. And in the process, the viewers told a story about growing up, figuring out life, getting things wrong, but working it out until it's right. You get fear and confusion and hormones and mixed in with all of that if you're an adult is nostalgia. And I am just a lover of nostalgia. The wish that you would have had that group of friends and had gone on that adventure, that your future was just out there for the taking. And because your brain wasn't fully formed just yet, the fear of consequences just didn't really exist. You were bold and impulsive and totally up for whatever the adventure was. It's that feeling of being a kid again. If you're a kid, It's the adventure you want. It's the group of friends you want, which are so often the underdogs, which I love so much. And if the movie hits you at the right time for better or worse, it could lead you to looking for your own adventure. But what frustrates me about this theme? I think the only time I'm frustrated during some kids go on an adventure is when the kids are asked to act more like an adult than a kid, when they're making decisions or having conversations that is very unkid-like it's too mature. If they're not fighting, whining, or scared at some point, then something just feels wrong. All that being said, today we're talking about The Goonies, another movie in my top five favorite movies. And then we're also talking about The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. But we'll get to that one in a minute. So The Goonies. We've got a group of kids who refer to themselves as Goonies because they're growing up in the Goondocks. Astoria, Oregon. It's like a neighborhood of Astoria. We've got Mikey, Data, Chunk, and Mouth. And then we've also got Mikey's older brother, Brand, and uh, his his hopeful girlfriend, Andy, and her best friend, Steph. They're all bummed because there's a corporation that wants to buy up their homes to build a golf course in condos. Their parents don't have enough money to buy them off, so it's looking like they're going to have to move and their homes are all going to be torn down. So we're bored on a rainy day. They start to explore Mikey's attic. Turns out his dad is the curator of a local museum and has a lot of items just sitting up in the attic, which is which is curious. 
Why weren't they in the museum? That has to be illegal, right? I would think. I would think it would be illegal to bring historical items from a museum to your home. Uh, were you keeping them unprotected in a dusty attic that could be drift, drafty and uh, moldy? I don't fully understand. Well, so they're, <laughs> they're in their exploration of the attic and they discover a treasure map created by the pirate One-Eyed Willie. Legend has it that Willie hid his treasure somewhere in or near Astoria and then killed the crew to keep his secret safe. So our pubescent adventurers decide to try to find the treasure in hopes that they're will be gold at the end that will help them save the goondocks from we're going to call it progress from becoming a golf course and that's what they do so mikey data mouth and chunk our four main kids head out on their bikes brand not far behind because he gets yelled at by his mother to go get his brother and the adventure starts off at an off-season restaurant on the coast it's there that they meet some felons who are on the run, the Fratellis, and they also find a hole under a fireplace grate that leads them down into a tunnel. I should point out by this point, Andy and Steph have joined them. There was a run-in with one of the kind of popular bully guys, tried to run Bran off the road. Bran actually had to steal a little girl's bike because Mikey had let the air out of the tires of his brand new bike. It was a whole thing, all while Cindy Lapper is singing a song. So go back and watch it. So they have found this hole in uh, the floor of this restaurant, in the basement of this restaurant. More questions about that, though. This is, a, this is a modern restaurant, and the pirate visited the area at least 100 years earlier. So how does that particular hole lead to that particular, spoiler, treasure? I know, I know, I know it's just a movie, but it doesn't make sense that the the beginning of their adventure would start somewhere very modern and that no one had followed this particular tunnel to the treasure in the past or someone tried, which we're going to find out someone did try, but they did horribly at it. And I don't really fully understand, understand why. Um, so they start to follow the tunnel. Well, everyone except Chunk. Chunk was stuck in a freezer with a dead guy because the Fratellis are felons, remember? Uh, so Chunk gets free, though, and is sent to the police for help. And poor Chunk then gets caught by the Fratellis. And because he's he's weak, in all fairness, they did threaten his, to stick his hand in a blender. He tells them about the treasure and the treasure map and how the kids have gone off to find this this gold. So now the felons are in the tunnel and the chase begins. Side note, Chunk is then tied to a chair in the basement of the restaurant with Sloth, uh, a Fratelli with special needs because the Fratellis are the absolute worst. And they become friends and buddies. And I just, I need you to know that part. Um, they have a baby Ruth together. They watch some TV. They eventually call the police and then they are going to head into the tunnels too, following the Fratellis. So in the tunnels, the Goonies find a waterfall at the bottom of a wishing well, uh, some pipes they think are connected to, we're going to call it the real world, the above world, and they cause a traffic accident when they try shaking them to try to get people's uh, attention that they're down there. They find a dead explorer named Chester Copperpot, who did not make it very far in his journey. I just... I, I want to know where he started because he is very clearly dead and it had been a long time. And I really doubt this restaurant chalet place existed at that time. So where did he start in the tunnel? They come against several booby traps, including a piano made of human bones. And they also find the coolest looking water slide ever. And at the end of the slide, and I am just blowing through this movie because each of those moments is a very 
fun part of their adventure. But at the end of the slide is a lagoon, and in the lagoon is a pirate ship, and in the pirate ship is One-Eyed Willie and his treasure. And just as they're stuffing their pockets with gold and jewels, the Fratellis show up and force them to leave the gold and walk the plank. But that's when Sloth and Chunk, who again escaped their bonds and were following everybody through the tunnel, come and they save the day. And then they yell, hey, you guys. It's great. <laughs> the Fratellis then accidentally set off one last booby trap, leaving the cave that is protecting the lagoon crumbling around the adventurers who escape by the skin of their teeth and end up back on the beaches of Astoria where they're found by police. Their parents are relieved, of course, to find them alive and in one piece. And because the movie is made for a happy ending, Mikey discovers that the Fratellis never found his marble bag that he had emptied and filled with jewels thus assuring that the families have enough money to save the goondocks and no one has to move. Which I have another question about that. Is it really Mikey's possession? Can they really use those jewels to save the goondocks? Like, if you find a treasure, is it finder's keepers? I need to investigate that more. Or would everything that had been on the boat, like, gone gone to the museum that they're going to keep in the <laughs> the attic okay never mind maybe it really maybe it really is mikey's family's now so why is this one on the list because it's the ultimate adventure it's a pirate map and treasure it's terrifying and fun it's kids sticking it out when it's hard because they trust in each other and have no real concept of consequences because goonies never say die because their friendships are genuine and their personal the personalities of each kid are given room to grow and you get to see the personalities really well and the relationship between the brothers between mikey and bran is i thought was completely realistic and inspiring they can pick on each other one minute and show like true compassion and loyalty the next brand is actually a really good big brother he reads mikey's emotions he listens to him when he talks he doesn't just dismiss that he's sad and um, they are actually pretty close this whole town is really an interesting microcosm i would love to have had a prequel or to see the kids before it has to it has a very small town feel because it fascinated me that you've got these four younger kids chunk mikey data and mouth but they are known by the popular kids. They are known by Steph. They are known by Andy. Everybody kind of knows who they are. So it has to be a really small kind of neighborhood town feel. The goon everybody must know each other in the goondocks, which I love that too. I always kind of love those small town movies where everybody kind of knows everybody. The soundtrack is phenomenal. My desire to visit Oregon is always heightened after each time I watch the movie. I love this one. I always wanted to be a Goonie. I mean, who are we kidding? I still want to be a Goonie. I actually found a picture book that is based on, it's a pop culture series. And so there's one on like Back to the Future, the Goonies, uh, E.T. And I got it and I, I got it for me from the library because I wanted to read it because I thought they were adorable. The illustrations are fantastic. But then I handed them off to my younger brother so that he could read them to my nephews. And I actually read the Goonies one to... Cooper, um, several times and he really enjoyed it. And so on his birthday, he opens a present for my older brother and it's a Superman t-shirt. And instead of saying Superman, the first thing he yells out is, Hey, you guys. And I just, I had never been more proud in my entire life. So yeah, the Goonies is in the top five or at the very least, you know, 
I want to be a Goonie, but I, I want to find the story inside of myself to write my very own Goonie-esque tale. I, when I think about, you know, sitting down and just having fun writing a screenplay or writing a novel, I always go back to these kind of movies because they've stuck with me all of these years. A few interesting tidbits. This was Josh Brolin's acting debut. The movie was shot almost entirely in sequence and on location in Astoria, Oregon. The kids weren't allowed to see the pirate ship while it was being built. In fact, the scene where they emerge from the water slide <laughs> and turn to see the boat, that was their genuine reactions. That was the first time they were getting to see it, which reminds me a lot of the story about um, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, that they didn't let the little girl who played Lucy see the wardrobe beforehand, so then they have her come into the room and she gets to see it for the first time. I like those genu genuine reactions by kids, too. At one point, the kids... They disturb, they're in the tunnel and they move a rock or something and they disturb some bats that fly at their heads and the bats were made of bow ties and crepe paper, which I thought was funny. Uh, there is a Goonies oath that they cut, it doesn't, you know, it's not in the movie, they cut it out of the movie, but it says, I will never betray my goondock friends. We will stick together until the whole world ends. Through heaven and hell and nuclear war, good pals like us will stick like tar. In the city or the country or the forest or the boonies, I am proudly declared a fellow Goonie. See, I wanted a group of friends that had a little oath. That's awesome. And finally, the film had a couple of Easter, Easter eggs related to Gremlins, came out in 1984, which had uh, Steven Spielberg and Chris Columbus as executive producer and writer, respectively. So in the movie, when Chunk calls the police, he, he has escaped his bonds from the basement. He and Sloth are eating Baby Ruth candy bars. He calls the police. Chunk calls the police to let them know what's going on. And the officer says, um, this call is like the prank about creatures that multiply when you throw water on them. And then another Easter egg featured a Gremlins action figure pack that's seen in Mikey's room. So I always, I love those. Again, it's the nostalgia, taking something you love and putting little pieces of it in other things. I love that so much. So that, that's the Goonies, top five. And now for a movie that I love, but it's very rare that I come across anyone that's seen it and even more rare someone that's seen it and likes it as well which brings me just endless heartache because I think it's a fantastic movie and that is The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. So this one is set during the Age of Reason and in an unnamed European city that is being bombarded by the Ottomans. It starts with a whimsical stage retelling of the many adventures of Baron Munchausen who was a German nobleman who is kind of the stuff of legend. In this particular world, there are folk tales written about him and his adventures. And I'm stealing this little part from Wikipedia because I thought they stated it perfectly. So at the theater in this, at the beginning of this movie, in one of the theater boxes is the mayor of this city that's being bombarded, the right ordinary Horatio Jackson, who is tasked with reinforcing the city's commitment to reason and he does this in this particular scene to show that he's just kind of crazy pants by ordering the execution of a soldier who is played by Sting, who had just accomplished a near superhuman feat of bravery. He executes him because he claims that his bravery is demoralizing to other soldiers and citizens. So nobody can be above anyone else. So the, they're putting on this play. The city is being bombarded. How people are coming to a play, I don't know. And, but the play is interrupted by an elderly man who claims to be the real Baron Munchausen and is offended that they're getting his exploits all wrong. They just 
the whole story is wrong. How could they, how could they tell these lies about my life? That's when he kind of steals the show by capturing the attention of the audience with a, a flashback of his dealings with the Grand Turk and his trusty companions, Berthold, who has superhuman speed, Adolphus, who is a rifleman with superhuman eyesight, Albrecht with superhuman strength, and Gustavus with superhuman hearing. So when the story then, he's telling the story, you're in this flashback, it is, you find out later that the Grand Turk is still bombarding the city. So when the story is interrupted by cannon fire... And much to the d dismay of the theater troupe who has now been fired by Jackson because of the interruption by the real Baron Munchausen, this elderly man who believes himself to be the Baron wanders backstage where he comes face to face with death, like literally the angel of death. And so then you have this little girl, Sally, who is the young daughter of the theater troupe's their leader and Sally saves Baron from the angel of death and attempts to persuade him to stay among the living. And that is kind of what she's doing the whole movie. One, she's trying to get him to remember who he is. She's trying to get him actually to not commit suicide. She's trying to get him to fulfill his promise because this fun happenstance, the real Baron accidentally fires himself through the sky using a mortar and returns to the city on a cannonball. So now he's convinced himself that kind of he's immortal, that he alone can save the city. So they need to get him out of the city so he can save everyone. So with the troops help, he makes a hot air balloon out of women's delicates, out of their underwear and a lot of blankets and escapes the city. And Sally stows away in the hot air balloon and goes with him because she wants him to fulfill that promise that he's going to save everybody, all her friends, her family, everyone she loves that is in that theater troupe. She wants him to save them like he promised. And what follows is why this one is on the list, because it is, it's, it's a love story to imagination. That's what it is. It's pure imagination. It's fantasy based on folklore and storytelling. So the whole time you're getting told a story, but you also don't know if the story is real or not, or if something has happened in the city and maybe Sally has hit her head and she's imagining this, you never really quite know what is true and what is imagination. And that is why I love this particular movie. So the hot air balloon takes them to the moon where they have an interaction with the king of the moon and his queen. They end up in the volcano of the Roman god Vulcan and get to meet the goddess Venus. They're swallowed by an enormous sea creature and finally they escape and together they face the Grand Turk and they save the city. So there's a kid at the heart of this movie, and that's why I love it, who is stubborn and annoying, but she fights for what is right. She doesn't listen to stupid adults and is her own person through and through. I mean, she's kind of an, an angry, annoying little girl, but at the same time, you kind of love her because she never gives up and she never gets in, gives in, and she never stops fighting for what she believes in. It's a story about loyalty and resilience, about forgiveness and curiosity, about the importance of the imagination of believing in the impossible and adventures and hope. It's stuffed full of amazing actors. There's a lot of people that you're like, hey, I know that person. Hey, I know that person. Like um, Kira Knightley's dad in the, the Pirates series. He is that, the, what, what, wait, what did I say? He is the um, right ordinary Horatio Jackson. You have Sting. You have Eric Idle from Monty Python. Uh, you just have all, Uma Thurman is in it. You just have all these people kind of pop up. And 
it's just, it's a lot of fun. And you also get to explore the brain of Terry Gilliam, who is one of the members of Monty Python. And it's just the perfect form of weird. A few interesting tidbits. Robin Williams plays the King of the Moon, who had lost his head and is madly in love with the Queen of the Moon. <laughs> he was a last-minute casting after the budget had run out and agreed to perform his role uncredited and unpaid. What a good man. Munchausen forms um, kind of an informal trilogy with director Terry Gilliam's previous film. So you have Time Bandits, which is another excellent movie. I need to find a reason to talk about that one because I love that one as well. And Brazil, which I have never seen and I find that hard to believe. So the three movies are said to represent the three stages of man, youth, middle age, and elderly, and the impact of imagination on each. And I love that. I love taking the idea of the imagination, which I just love and cherish. And I think that is one of the most amazing things about especially public library service is the, the reverence and the love of imagination. I mean, we do a lot of different things in public service. I mean, we help a lot of people on the computer. We help with resumes. We do a lot of important things, but my favorite part of the job is that imagination piece is kids walking in to find their next favorite book. The adult that comes in that just wants that escape and needs to use their imagination to find calm and rest in this kind of chaotic world. And I, I love that. And so I, I love that, you know, there's creators out there that enjoy that too. And they share things like this with us. Uh, Uma Thurman plays the goddess Venus. This was her first acting job, but because of delays with the movie, it's not actually her debut. Sting got his job because he was Gilliam's neighbor at the time, which I love. And the movie was just a box office flop. It cost like 40 million something to make, only made eight at the box office, but it did earn three Academy Award nominations. So I thought that was pretty cool. But that's it for today. That's it for a quick conversation on some kids go on an adventure. And what it comes down to is that I really wish I'd had an adventure as a kid. There's something innocent and pure about childhood adventures. When the story is huge and the dangers are exciting, why couldn't there have been a pirate ship hanging out somewhere in Southport, Indiana? Ugh. Next week, our themes remain ridiculous with some awkward people fall in love and friend groups are complicated. I hope you'll tune in for the conversations. Thank you so much for listening, really. It is so appreciated. If you haven't already, I hope you subscribe so we can keep going on this journey together. And if you've got the time, it would be awesome if you could rate and review so that other individuals who like random conversations about pop culture with someone who really doesn't know what they're talking about, well, they can join in on this one as well. Or if you want to share the podcast, that would be awesome too. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at at GnomeGirlM and on Facebook as A Bit of Fun with Emily. Go have yourself a bit of fun today and I will see you next time.